This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. In this weekly show, the Husker Online team will give you the latest insight on Husker football, basketball, baseball, and of course, recruiting. Now, here's your host, Husker Online publisher, Sean Callahan. Hello here and welcome again to another additional Husker Online show. Man, a, a lot has happened um, over the last few days, uh, last week, since we last talked to you um, last Wednesday here on the show from uh, our Husker Online studios. And uh, the big news, obviously, and I don't think we're that shocked, but obviously Trey Walters has moved on and um, Matt Lubick ha- has moved in as Nebraska's new offensive coordinator. And and that's really about all we know at this point. I mean, Matt Lubick hasn't really done, other than going on the Husker Sports Network, he hasn't done a lot of um, – he hasn't done an interv- any interviews at all. So uh, we don't really have a good read on, you know, what the dynamics of his role is going to be in terms of, say, play calling and and, and whatnot. Um, Sean Callahan here with Robin Washett and Nate Klaus. But I, I guess our first reaction – you know, to me, Robin, it wasn't a hire that just moved the needle because it happened so quickly. It was a Friday night at six o'clock. Um, you know, I joked with Sipple, our, our our colleague. You know, all the sports talk, all the thirty six hours of daily sports talk radio went off the air on Friday at six, so there weren't a bunch of guys that, that could yell and scream about things about the hire and and, and what happened. And um, so, you know, it, it just seemed very status quo to me how this all played out. Yeah, I, I'm sure that was part of the intent of when that uh, hiring was announced and even the Walters um, you know, movement uh, came out. But I think it also had to do with just how turned up the rumors got over the course of the week with you know, the Mickey Joseph stuff and um, all the other you know, potential hirings and firings that had already been made on message boards and social media that uh, you know, Nebraska was starting to look bad through this process by keeping their silence. And I think they kind of were hoping to wait for Walters to land on his feet and, and make it a, a kind of a smooth transition for him. But, you know, they eventually just kind of had to get it over with. And so that's why, you know, within the span of just a, a few hours, uh, Walters is officially uh, let go, and then uh, Lubick is brought mutually on separated. Yeah, mutually separated. Yeah, mutually separated. Yeah, right. That's, a, that's what you and your girlfriend used to say when you broke up in <laughs> high school or it's college. Just for the best, you for guys mutually yeah. separated. Yeah. So uh, it's not you; it's me. The timing of it clearly leads you to believe that this thing had been in the works for a long time, and which makes more sense that they were waiting for for Walters to take his stuff. Uh, to announce it. But uh, in the end, I think that Frost got the guy that he wanted in his statement. He said he was the only guy they reached out for the job. And, you know, who knows how much truth there is to that. But I, I believe it. Yeah, I really do. I mean, I, I think he was I think he would have been the guy if Walters didn't come here in the first place. I think Matt Lubick was the guy two years ago. And, you know, the people that know Frost, that knew the dynamics there, he couldn't afford Matt Lubick at Central Florida. That was the difference. He can afford Matt Lubick at Nebraska. When you're an Oregon and a Washington offensive coordinator, Central Florida can't make that higher. Right. But Nebraska can. Good point. Good point. So, yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense just with that pre uh, existing relationship. Um, the fact that it happened so quickly uh, in the span of a few hours on Friday shows that uh, this thing had been brewing for a while. Yeah, they, Nebraska totally had to rip the Band-Aid there by – putting out that statement um, about Walters and they've used some fancy words and everything, but 
the fact of the matter is I think uh, Lubick was their guy, and I think he has been for, for quite a while, and, and it just made sense to go ahead and do it now. But I think they would have rather had Walters, you know, pick up a new job so it looked like, you know, he was moving on on his own or whatever. But, um, you know, I, I like it. I, I don't know how you guys feel about it, but I like the hire. I think it makes sense. Um, they have wor- worked hand-in-hand for, for quite a few years, some really good years at Oregon. Uh, and that offense, I mean, <clears throat> it was top five in the nation for the three years when when Frost was the offensive coordinator there and, and uh, Lubick was the, the passing game coordinator and wide receivers coach. Um, you know, and, and I think if you – from depending on who you talk to, it sounds like these two are in lockstep with the offense. And they think similarly. They they are good at bouncing ideas off one another. And, and I think that's what Frost may need up in the up in the box. You know, when, when he's calling a play or, or if, if Lubick is seeing something from from up there, he can suggest something that maybe Frost hasn't seen yet or or be one step ahead of him and know how he's thinking or what he's setting up. And, and uh, I think that's something that's really going to pay off. Plus – uh, you know, the wide receivers had kind of been a disappointment under uh, Troy Walters. Recruiting and, and development. Yeah, recruiting and development. And, and I think that Lubick, everything you look at is that, uh, I mean, shoot, he was the, the wide receiver coach of the year in, in 2012 at Duke. Um, you know, and, and he's been a recruiting coordinator. He's got a lot of connections to the West Coast. I mean, everything about it, in my opinion, uh, looks like a pretty big upgrade. Yeah, when you talk about the recruiting and, and development of guys, um, take out Wondell Robinson, um, the other three freshmen – I don't want to say it felt like Nebraska went over, but the fact that those three guys really couldn't get on the field when Nebraska really needed receivers on the field this past year, um, that wasn't a good look if you're the wide receivers coach because the position to me had never been as decimated as it been was this past year at times. I mean, hell, you would have liked to have had a Brian Reimers this past year because he would have been able to help you more than the guys that were playing because Nebraska lacked physicality, execution, route running, etc. And, you know, there, there were a lot of factors, and um, that position has to get better for this entire offense to work. Yeah, no question. There's nowhere to go but up for that group. And what was especially frustrating about those young guys, it seemed like every week that Troy Walters talked after practice. He's on the coom. There's be a question about, you know, how about those young receivers? Anybody close to cracking the rotation? You'd be like, oh, yeah, they're close. You know, they're they're ready. They just need to, a little bit more fine-tuning, and, and they're going to be a they're factor for door. us. And yet none of them <laughs> played. And if they did play, it was the most insignificant snaps uh, of the season. And so that was the most frustrating part, I think, for a lot of people, is you would hear about how uh, many flashes these guys had and how close they were to finally cracking it, and yet they never – made an impact. And so, um, you know, I don't know where those guys stand right now because that room is about as wide open. You have two guys that are proven commodities in that receiving group. And then it's just... Well, Omar Manning's going to move in pretty quick. So, I mean, there's there's another spot right there, but, you know, we need more than three. And so that that rotation is up for grabs right now with a total clean slate with a offensive coordinator slash receivers coach that uh, is going to come in and do a thorough evaluation of everybody in that room and so this spring is going to be fascinating to watch with that group as to far as far as how that competition goes and uh, what kind of Lubick's take on that on the status of that group is and, and where they need to go going forward yeah really not a bad situation for him to to walk into when you're adding a guy like Omar Manning and Alante Brown and Marcus Fleming and, and a lot of these new uh, new faces that Nebraska just signed. I think you you combine those with some of the guys on the roster, and uh, he definitely has some talent to work with. And and I'm interested to see you know exactly how those guys kind of factor in, or or if we see anybody out of that group really emerge right right out of the gates. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show, and that leaves us to really there's only one other 
kind of question that has to get established with this coaching staff, and that's who's going to handle the special teams. Um, today, right now, here as we sit Wednesday, all signs point to Sean Snyder. I've had multiple people that you know are tied to the K-State football world that have said that this is a done deal. Now, it hasn't been announced yet um, by Nebraska. Um, it may not be announced till later in the week here, um, but it will be an interesting dynamic if a Snyder is up here coaching special teams for Nebraska in, quote, an analyst role, but we know that you can get pretty creative with those roles. Yeah, and we, I think we talked about this last week, that uh, you can basically do everything as, a, as an analyst outside of you know the, the majority of the on-field instruction. And uh, you look back to last year with DeWitt's health situation, I mean, the staff is already handled uh, by committee coaching special teams. And so, you know, if it's an analyst, um, which it sure seems to be, uh, that's probably going to take a, a lot off their plate, not only in just game planning, but you look at how much emphasis they put on their freshmen and, and freshmen rotating in and out and utilizing their four games based off special teams. And I remember Eric Chenander said every week we're kind of debating and arguing about this. Well, now you have a guy that can devote basically the majority of his time to handling that sort of stuff, which takes a lot of unnecessary thought and uh, stress off the the rest of the staff's plate. Um, and, you know, with the, you look at Snyder's work at uh, Kansas State, I mean, that's one of the things they're known for is, you know, just consistently productive and efficient special teams that rank right up towards the, you know, the best in the country in all units. And so you talk about an area of um, the game that Nebraska drastically needs to improve upon. Uh, special teams needs to be covered, I think, in, in a more full-time capacity, even if it is uh, through an analyst position. Yeah, I'm just kind of curious about the, the uh, you know, the awkwardness level of, <laughs> of it all. I mean, uh, I'm sure that, <clears throat> you know, Snyder had, you know, there's been many years where he probably despised Nebraska, and uh, now it looks like he's going to be uh, wearing wearing the scarlet and cream colors himself. So, uh, I mean, that's to me, that's a pretty interesting dynamic. I know, you know, Frost spent a year down at Kansas State, so he's obviously kind of familiar with, with Sean and, and, of course, his dad, Bill. But, um, yeah, th I, I don't know. I'm curious – to kind of see, you know, if it does play out that way, like we think it will, you know, what uh, what Nebraska fans will will think of that if they'll embrace it because of his track record as a special teams coordinator and, and what he's done, or or if uh, if they'll kind of push back on that just because he's a K State guy and a Snyder. It will be so much behind the scenes, though. I don't even think you'll get a, an opportunity to really react right. because. You know, who was that guy? Well, Gary Nebraska fans will react. <laughs> I mean, like well, that's not the issue. I'm going to look at it like Gary Darnell when he came here as a former head coach analyst behind the scenes. I mean, it's going to be a guy that you have to be a pretty hardcore, and we are tied to a lot of the hardcores yeah. <laughs> daily. Uh, we run into him quite a bit, hear from him quite a bit on Husker Online, but uh, we're going to stick with Sean Snyder on that subject. Matt Hall, the publisher or the editor of K-State Online, uh, joined me, um, and, and he gave his thoughts on Sean Snyder and, and what he could potentially bring to Nebraska. That's next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show, the segment here of the Husker Online Show, brought to you by Tanner Sports Bar and Grill with locations in Omaha and Lincoln. Get on into Tanner's, watch all the action this weekend as you'll have Husker basketball going on and many other uh, college basketball games. Uh, but wanted to take some time here as, as we move forward in the show. Uh, I teased it here before the break. I uh, wanted to talk a little bit more about Sean Snyder. I mean, this is a relatively unknown guy to a lot of Nebraskans because 
Um, you know, he, he just kind of stayed under the radar, even though he's Bill Snyder's son. But it, it looks like he will be coming to Nebraska, possibly in some capacity, uh, to handle special teams. And uh, Matt Hall, a, a colleague of ours here at Rivals.com, um, has known Sean Snyder for many years. And I just kind of wanted to get some insight from Matt on uh, maybe what Sean Snyder's could bring as a special teams mind and uh, kind of the lay of the land um, with him right now in Manhattan. Matt, thanks for joining us here. Hey, absolutely. I appreciate you having me on. And just to help your sponsor for a second, as soon as I heard you say Tanners, there's a Tanners in Manhattan, too. So then I started doing some research to see if it looked like the same logo, and it is. So I doubt you have a lot of listeners in Manhattan, but um, there's a Tanners here, too. Um, yeah, it was it was an interesting thing to hear about, you know, Sean Snyder potentially doing this. And, and I think it's going to happen if, of course, it isn't out there already. Um, as you referenced, I mean, I, I've been able to do this job a couple of different times. I worked, you know, as the manager, well, the editor of the site on Rivals back when I was younger in the early 2000s. And again, now was able to interact with, you know, Coach Sean Snyder both times. And what you said is accurate. I think he is he is quite a mystery to a lot of people, despite his, you know, tie to Bill Snyder. Um, the things I'll start with, then we can start just talking back and forth, is that's unique about Sean Snyder. Is he was at K-State longer than Bill Snyder was. He came to K-State from Iowa the same time Bill Snyder did. He transferred as a punter, was a consensus first-team All-American. Then when Bill Snyder, you know, retired for a few years and Ron Prince was running the program, Sean Snyder was still in place, I believe, as a director of football operations. So he never left K-State from when he came on, and he's as synonymous with K-State, even though his name's not as big. Of course, as Bill Snyder is, is probably anybody the last 30 or so years. Yeah, why do you think he wants to do this then? I mean, does, does he – first of all, does he – have the opportunity to stay at Kansas State as long as he won, or is it kind of mutual on both sides that, you know what, maybe it's time to, to, to kind of go your own way, Sean, and we're going to go our own way? That's, it's tricky, you know. I think uh, black and white, just saying it simply, I think he could stay at K-State forever. He has, a, I think, a pretty um, safe-worded contract to where he has, you know, a job at the university for as long as he would like. He's, he's, I think, paid pretty well, depending on what your opinion on that is. I think he's paid pretty well. Um, but I think it's what you said, too. I think ultimately it's probably best for both. I think Sean Snyder and the new K-State staff, you know, Chris Kleiman, et cetera, I think actually got along pretty well. I think they valued him. I think he was impressed by them. I know he was. He's told me that off the record and that kind of stuff. Um, but I, I don't think he ever truly felt like he was as part of it as he was in the past, and he probably wasn't in the past. You know, he was the special teams coordinator. And his father, Bill Snyder, gave him significantly more responsible than just being a special teams coordinator. A lot of people, including Bill Snyder, would talk about Sean Snyder really running the program the last four or five years Snyder was in Manhattan. So he went from that to a non-coaching, you know, can't be on the field, not with players, more or less analyst, you know, role. It's even that. I don't know if that's even a fair term to give it. Um, so he, he felt uh, like he wasn't as much part of it. And when you have programs, you know, like Nebraska, Texas, USC, et cetera, you know, I think, you know, practically reaching out to you about employment, it's probably silly not to look. And I think it's just become a situation where it's probably ideal for, for most parties for him to be somewhere else. But he could have stayed at K-State um, for sure. I don't think he's – I know for a fact he's not being forced out or anything like that. We're talking to Matt Hall here. He's the editor of Kansas State Online, our Rivals.com Kansas State side and. Uh, Matt, w w when you look at maybe his duties, do you, did you get a sense that he really had much dog in the fight this past season uh, with Coach Kleiman? I mean, was he involved in special teams at all this past season for Kansas State? 
He was, um, I believe Stanton Weber uh, was officially running the special teams, but Sean Snyder did have a lot of involvement with it. I know, you know, he couldn't do on the field coaching by his role, that kind of stuff, but I know he remained very involved with the kickers and punters, who both played really well for K-State this year. I mean, both Devin Ankle and, and Blake Lynch uh, had all-conference type of seasons and were very good for K-State. Uh, the return game, he has always been very involved in, but I think that's where the disagreement comes amongst K-State fans is he's really responsible for the return game, et cetera. Um, he may not. And I think I think the easiest way to say I think he's always been responsible for putting the game plan, for making adjustments on game day. I don't know how much he coached the X's and O's beyond installing the game plan of the return unit. You know, this year probably not much at all. But he was involved this year. So you look at the K-State special teams, and he, he at least had an impact building that unit over the years he's done it. K-State returned kickoffs for a touchdown, I think, in three of the last four games they played. Like I said, uh, Lynch and Ankle, punter and kicker, were very, very good. So it was a very good K-State special teams unit. No, he wasn't the coordinator of it, um, but he was absolutely involved in it, and he had been the coordinator of it for, I don't even want to guess, but, you know, the 10 years leading up to it. So I think he certainly had a hand in K-State special team success this year. If this plays out like we think, how strange will it be to see Sean Snyder wearing a Nebraska shirt yeah. And then possibly having Bill Snyder maybe coming up to Lincoln, sitting in Tom Osborne's box with him watching Nebraska games. I'm guessing Bill's not going to wear a Nebraska shirt. Yeah. But uh, would that be strange to a lot of K-State folks to see that? Yeah, yeah, it really would be. I think in some ways outside of Kansas, which would be significantly worse you know, for a K-State fan. So the one and two in this thing, are, there's a huge gap. But Nebraska might be the next weirdest. You know, I mean, you remember just as well as I do, uh, you know, back in the mid to late 90s when Nebraska was by far the most dominant program in the country and K-State was trying to battle them, you know, how much uh, bad blood there was between the two. I remember things that, like, you know, Bill Snyder not allowing red trash cans, you know, or any red in, you know, in the parking lot or that kind of stuff, even when they weren't playing Nebraska because he saw them as the school they were trying to compete with and beat, and Sean Snyder was, of course, part of that. So with that memory and all the, you know, the battles those two programs had in that time frame, it would seem weird. And when I see it, if I see it, I'll be a little bit taken back by it. But then in some ways, in this from a K-State fan perspective, if he's going to be somewhere else, why not there? You know, why not, you know, with a program that, of course, is Scott Frost's program, but with Tom Osborne still involved and, and, and that kind of stuff. If he's not going to be at K-State, and he doesn't have a position at K-State. Maybe Nebraska is as fitting as anywhere, and that's a program perhaps he can now have an influence on um, that he used to compete against for so long. And you mentioned the word battle, Matt. You were, um, you guys were a part of a pretty big battle on the basketball court this week in, huh. in Lawrence uh, with the Jayhawks. Um, you know, the the post game melee yeah. that broke out. I mean, what's just the 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 feel right now in the state of Kansas? I mean, all eyes in the on the country are are you know looking at this situation, weighing in on their opinions on on what right. I mean, What's your early kind of feel on where that's headed? It is all just stunning to see. Like I didn't go last night. I sent two other staff members to Lawrence. Uh, we got two credentials, and I had two other people go, and I feel really, really dumb for not going. Um, so I just watched it on TV like everybody else. I've just been talking to people you know, uh, on the phone ever since then. I mean, it's what you kind of expect. I would say for the most part, K-State fans blame KU. For the most part, KU fans, fans blame K-State. Uh, but I think where that changes and goes beyond is Sylvia DeSosa you know, grabbed a stool. Um, of course, you know, and everybody listening to this knows, and was going to attack a K-State player with it until a Kansas assistant, I believe Jarrett Howard, took it from him. And at that same time, two KU starters, you know, Marcus, Gell- Marcus Garrett um, and David McCormick, you know, can be seen attempting to stomp a downed K-State player on the ground at that point. K-State was not free of blame. Antonio Gordon, I saw, put a really good two-handed shove into Sylvia DeSosa. 
I think before De Sosa had thrown a punch, James Love threw punches after Sylvia De Sosa, David McCormick have. Dejuan Gordon stole a ball, which, you know, may have, I don't think inside of this whole thing, but I understand the reasoning and say it does. So long story short, I mean, both sides think the other side is wrong, but I think the national perception, and at least mine, is yes, both sides are wrong. But Kansas did some uniquely uh, odd things in this, most specifically having a player grab a weapon and attempt to use it in this fight, which certainly changed it to a different level than we're typically typically seeing. Now, the guy in the street clothes, I mean, people don't know who right. that was. That That's a K-State player that that jumped in yeah. in the street clothes as well, right? Yeah. Name is name is James Love. Uh, he is an injured seven foot junior on this team. Uh, he was certainly. I mean, I'm almost afraid to talk because by the time this goes out, things could have changed. But he will almost certainly see some pretty severe punishment. I will say on his defense, if you go back and watch videos, uh, he did not throw punches until he physically saw Sylvia Dezosa punch David Sloan in the face. Um, he was right by it when it happened, and then he started throwing punches. So it was an injured player who left the bench. He will, you know, be penalized for that because, you know, by the NCAA rule, any any player who leaves the bench to participate in a fight, you know, will face the suspension. So I expect that he will. Um, but man, it, yeah, he it was just a lot of guys, you know, going crazy all at the same time, and so many different videos of it out there, and it was just a fascinating, sad thing. Um, I hope programs, both programs, you know, dish out the right penalties and move forward. And I expect they will. I thought both coaches, at least in the media, you know, Bill Self and Bruce Weber handled it relatively well last night. Well, fun times. I'm sure we'll all be following you guys yeah. closely uh, and what 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 comes out of all of that here in the coming days, coming weeks. Matt, hey, we, we appreciate the time and uh, look forward to seeing you here down the road. Of course, absolutely. And enjoy, you know, if Sean Fatter's there, enjoy watching it. He'll do great work with those units, particularly the kickers and the punters, and I certainly would wish him all the best if that's where he ends up. All right, much more to come. We're going to bring Robin Washett back in, and we'll talk about Nebraska's loss to Wisconsin here on Wednesday night. That's next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Continue to go out there and battle uh, as Wisconsin continue to make shots um, is a step in the right direction for our team. Uh, you know, I think the most we've outscored any team in the paint this entire year was by four, and you know we outscored Wisconsin, a very tough physical team, by 20 uh, in the paint tonight. So, you know, obviously we'll go back and, and look at it and how we can prevent uh, you know some of those shots. But I thought for the most part. Uh, a lot of those were contested. Um, you know, give Wisconsin credit for for stepping up and knocking them down. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, as Nebraska basketball lost their fourth league game in a row. Um, they haven't won since January seventh when they they beat Iowa in Lincoln. Uh, the road does not get any easier as the Huskers will be at ranked Rutgers uh, for a one o'clock Saturday game before coming back home. Uh, for an early tip on a Tuesday night against uh, Michigan at 6 o'clock. But, um, you know, Robin, I, I think when you watch this team play, you continue to see glimpses of what this is going to be under Fred Hoiberg and um, kind of the direction he's taking the program and the offense and the style of play. Uh, but at the end of the day, Nebraska still just doesn't have a fully loaded gun to compete two nights a week in the Big Ten Conference. Well, and you see it with just the, the defensive game plan that they have to use right now in league play, and that is pack the paint and do anything possible to prevent bigger, stronger front court players from dominating you at the rim and hope that the other team just misses three-pointers. And 
Um, you know, that, that game plan worked to perfection against Iowa, and then it completely blew up in their face uh, last time out at Wisconsin, where, um, you know, a, a mediocre three-point shooting team hit the most <laughs> most threes in program history against them and uh, basically eliminated any chance of Nebraska being able to keep pace in that game. And so um, that's just kind of where they are right now. And you're right, and I've said this before, that this season is less about wins and losses than it is incremental baby steps of tangible signs of development, growth, and progress. And I think last night, when you kind of just go beyond the 18 threes and the final score, you see an improved Nebraska team in terms of being able to go on the road in a true road environment uh, and withstand adversity. You know, Fred mentioned that in that clip you played where. You know, they fell behind by pretty massive deficits several times in that game, including as many as 17 points, and yet they were able to rally back each and every time to where, uh, you know, they were within five in the final minutes. And um, the Nebraska team we saw in November does not do that. That game is a 20-point blowout, and it's not even remotely close to competitive. Well, Nebraska stayed after it. They kept fighting, and they continued to keep it um, at least somewhat of a game. And, you know, again, that's, it's minimal, but, uh, it's a silver lining nonetheless. And that's kind of what this, the rest of this year is going to be about is, can you see Nebraska get better in those types of things every time they step on the court and the team that, you know, ends the season in March, how much better are they going to be as a overall complete team than the one that made their debut uh, in that loss to UC Riverside. And, um, right now, I think we've seen a lot of progress already, but, obviously uh, still a lot of work that needs to be done over the next couple months. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Yeah, Robin, you look at Cam Mack and, and, and just the moments. he I mean, he makes really good players in this league look bad at times, and but then he'll take a really bad shot out of the offense. Mm-hmm. And But some of the plays he makes, the passes he makes, they give people, no matter who they are, trouble. Deshaun Burke attacks the rim, um, you know, makes plays that we haven't seen guards consistently make over the years at Nebraska. So there, there is something there with a few of these pieces, uh, but just not enough. Yeah, and especially with their uh, lack of post depth, that's going to put them in a disadvantage each and every night. But in contrast, you know, in that Wisconsin game, Nebraska was a far superior athletic team. Uh, I mean, Cam Mack and Deshaun Burke, Wisconsin could not guard them off the dribble. Deshaun Burke scored all 20 of his points on layups and dunks. Uh, Cam Mack uh, was on pace for a triple-double at the end of the first half uh, once again. And so um, they have really quality pieces that, um, you know, when it's all clicking together, uh, they can be really good, but you're right. They just don't have enough right now. Um, it doesn't help that three of their best players are sitting on the bench right now as sit out transfers. Um, and that, you know, they haven't ha- really had quite the production they expected out of Gervais green, uh, to where he's a total non-factor where Matej Kavas is a, uh, did not play per coach's decision, uh, in Wisconsin. So, I mean, a lot of guys that you expected to be, uh, weapons, uh, that can kind of make this team, compete are not there and so they're relying on just a handful of guys and um, you know as we've seen so many years uh, even under the previous staff that's a really difficult task when you're relying on just such a a handful of players to carry that big of a workload but uh, yeah I mean you you see the development of Cam Mack I mean he's catching attention around the conference and around the country as one of the best passing point guards in college basketball I mean his numbers back it up and what's crazy is Right now, he's on pace to finish with the second most assists in a season in Nebraska basketball history. Uh, he's going to have over 200, and Brian Carr has a record with 230-something. So, uh, I mean, he's kind of at an unprecedented rate right now, 
And he's doing so with a team that is shooting about 50% at the rim. I mean, think about if Nebraska could convert layups and knock down open threes, uh, what those numbers would look like. And so that kind of gives you hope that when you add more talent around him with those three sit-out transfers, with the junior college guys they have bringing in, and with whatever else uh, they add with the 20 class, uh, suddenly this thing could really start clicking. Because the perfect example, Thor Thorby Narsen, if you know how to play around Cam Mack, you will flourish. He will make sure of it. Uh, and so, you know, again, as, as frustrating as things are this year, you just got to keep in the back of your mind that next year is going to look like a completely different team, and they're going to be far more prepared to hit the ground running at the start than they were this year. And Nebraska continues on this cycle of Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday. Um, they go to Rutgers this uh, Saturday, Robin, um, and this will be their second crack at arguably the best Rutgers team, maybe in history. Um, one it's of the, up there. One of the best. It's a one o'clock game. Maybe you catch the place sleeping a little bit, a sleepy afternoon environment. It's sold out. So now <laughs> there goes my theory. Number one. Yeah. They uh, are ranked for the first time in like 40 years and they're selling. They sell the Nebraska game sold out. And I think they've sold the next few home games, um, you know, in the foreseeable future here. So it's a new era of Rutgers basketball. This is not the Rutgers team that uh, we all think that we knew. They are a team that just makes life so uncomfortable for you. That's a terrible matchup for Nebraska. Nebraska, uh, with the way that they struggle with adversity, um, Rutgers will come out and throw the first punch and make you respond. And as we saw the last time in Lincoln, Nebraska did not respond the right way. Well, it will be interesting to see uh, then Nebraska back home Tuesday night against Michigan, a six o'clock game at Pinnacle Bank Arena. So wins are not going to be easy to come by as um, you know, more than likely Nebraska is, is almost an underdog in every one of their games here the rest of the way, other than maybe yeah. the, they got Northwestern. Per one. Ken Palm, Northwestern is the only game that they're favored to win, and they give them a 55% chance of winning that game. Every other game, they are 25% or lower chance to win. I mean, Penn State is a winnable opportunity in Penn State's good, man. In Lincoln. <laughs> they're good. But Lamar Stevens is going to be a problem for Nebraska. And then you add in Mike Watkins. I mean, they, that's a bad matchup for Nebraska. Well, when we come back, uh, we're going to take your questions in the mailbag. Grace Harmon will join us next here in studio. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus, and pleased to be joined by Grace Harmon in studio here as... It's time for the mailbag, Grace, and a lot of questions. A lot of, we, we talked off air some random questions that did not make the mailbag, unfortunately, but hopefully some good questions still. Yeah, so the first one I got is, do you guys have any predictions of who's going to start at punter and kicker next year? William Prystep is, I think, the leader of the clubhouse at punter. Um, there's the Lincoln Southeast freshman. Um, is it Jake Del- Delfison? Or what was the kid's name? Delfison. He, he could be a guy to watch. <laughs> yeah. um, but... Uh, Contreras from Iowa Western, I think, has every opportunity to win that job. And what I'm more curious is, will Barrett Pickering be around and will he be here for spring and compete? And, you know, if he sees that he's not the guy, how will that play out? Because obviously they're they're giving this guy a scholarship right now and he may not be the kicker next year. Yeah, I mean, personally, I'd be surprised if he was. It just seems like that is a, a relationship that probably has already come to an end and uh, they're just kind of letting, letting it play out. But uh, yeah, kicker is the big one. I think Price Step is the clear uh, punter, but 
I think kicker's going to be wide open, especially if Barrett is not in the conversation. Then suddenly you got uh, a whole bunch of dudes where they have five other guys that are, I don't know who will all coming back, but they have a multiple guys that have scored points in the game as a kicker last season. So uh, they're going to have options, and hopefully it's a little bit better situation than it was a year ago. Yeah, I think pr- uh, price up. And then uh, Chase Contreras, the, the junior college place kicker out of Iowa Western, he was a JUCO All-American. Um, you know, I, I, he's on campus already. He, he graduated early, or actually, he was a qualifier out of high school. So, um, you know, he came over as an early enrollee or a mid-year guy. So, uh, I think that you know, you don't go out and get a JUCO All-American place kicker that comes in uh, halfway through the season or halfway through the school year if you're not planning on on him being the guy, or at least him uh, hoping that he takes over. Uh, so, that th- those would be my two guys. All right, so linebacker depth has always been a topic of conversation in the mailbag. Who else uh, does Nebraska have aside from Garrett Nelson? Well, you talk about outside linebacker. Yeah, it's a strong side linebacker. Um, I mean, I think that that's a position to be determined. I mean, there's some guys that we don't really know what they're going to bring to the table, whether that's a Jameen Graham. Um, but JoJo Dolman is an outside linebacker. Obviously, Garrett Nelson's an outside linebacker. Um, Nico Cooper is coming in um, to play the outside linebacker position. It's my understanding Jackson Hanna has moved to the outside um, and no, no longer will be inside. So that is still, to me, a work in progress. Um, and, you know, Blaze Gunnerson will be there as a true freshman. Um, am I leaving one out, Nate? Um, I don't think so. I think that's, I think that's pretty much everybody that, that's coming in, at least in the 2020 class. Um, yeah, I don't – I mean, that's that's about it. Now, strong side, I mean, that's – we probably won't know exactly who's working where. I, I feel like they could reshuffle things a little bit. Um, but I know as a JUCO guy, Nico Cooper is somebody that, that they're going to be expecting to, to come in and play right away. Um, you know, Jamari Butler, to me – is uh, is one of the more exciting outside linebackers that they just signed in this class, but I don't know if he's necessarily going to be somebody that can step on the field and, and you know contribute right away. I think he's got a little bit of development uh, to do, uh, but yeah, I think I mean be, beyond Garrett Nelson on that side, you know, I, I think it's it's kind of whoever's game. I mean, it's all up in the air. I'll ask you guys because I don't know uh, what's the deal with David Alston. I mean, was he ever going to have an impact? <laughs> You know, it, it, he was number one player in Minnesota, but it always boggled my mind Minnesota didn't offer him. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, they had, well, like, what did they know here that they didn't offer the number one player in Minnesota? But I have never had his name brought up in any kind of conversation about contributors, guys in the mix, even special teams. So, That's crazy. Um, the fact that he's not even a special teams contributor when your kickoff coverage team had nine walk ons on it last year. Um, that's that kind of tells you where he's at, I think, in the grand scheme of it. Yeah, he's developed. I, I feel like he's added some good weight, um, and which is something that he desperately needed to do when he first got to Nebraska. But uh, yeah, I've not. You know, I, I feel like Dewitt may have mentioned his name like one time, and and it was more so saying that he was an intelligent kid <laughs> instead of you know it wasn't necessarily talking about his play on the field. So. Um, but he had, a, yeah. he had a 3.9 GPA in high school. Yeah. So, I mean, 
uh, yeah, I, I think that he's somebody that you would you would love to see somebody like that kind of have the light bulb come on, and and who knows, maybe maybe under Dawson now there might be a couple guys that that kind of emerge and and kind of get a, a breath of fresh life there. Are there any specific 2020 prospects that you can see taking an official visit before February signing day? Before February signing day, I mean, well, they just had one in Chris Abrams' drain. Uh, and really the only other targets that they're after right now is Tanoa Tagawai, the, the uh, defensive end out of Idaho. And he's he visited in December. And then the other one maybe is Brennan Scott, who's a linebacker, inside or outside linebacker, um, out of Dallas, out of Bishop Dunn High School, same high school as uh, Darian and Damian Daniels. So, But I don't know if that's going to happen or not. I, I think that, um, you know, that's – it's, it's kind of just speculation at this point in time. So uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see any more um, official visits. They might have like one or two uh, that they that they bring in on, on some late flyers or guys that maybe they're trying to keep on the hook. Uh, I know there's a, there's a Juco kind of hybrid wide receiver, tight end type of guy out of Butler that, uh, that they've continued to talk with, that they've, you know, kind of thrown it out there that maybe we'll bring you in late. Um, you know, and, and if, if a spot opens up, then, then you might, you know, we might take you there, but I don't know. All right. So what position do you think, um, will be the strength of the offense next season? That's a great question. Um, because there's a lot of areas you could say that. I mean, I mean, I, I kind of could see a resurgence from wide receiver with JD Spielman and, and Wondell Robinson and Omar Manning. Uh, maybe Xavier Betts in that conversation and in somebody else that could emerge. So I, I tend to lean towards wide receiver. I mean, I, I, you hope, though, it's offensive line. You hope it's quarterback. Uh, but I, I see a lot of good things from receiver right now. Well, I think from as far as experience and depth, tight end has to be up there, especially with the addition of Travis Volkolek. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he's a potential NFL player that could vault to number one on the depth chart. Uh, and then you have Jack Stoll, you have Austin Allen, and, and, and I mean uh, a group there that has played a lot of football. That's so, not going to be the strength of the the offense, though. You, you got an NFL caliber tight end. I'm just saying that as far as just overall complete depth at one position, there's so many questions at every other spot. That's the one known commodity. Yeah, there's that, no questions there. Yeah, so that's the reason I say that. Maybe from a production standpoint, yeah, you're t- probably talking about Duck R or something like that. <laughs> but uh, I think just as far as looking at the roster, tight end is going to be a strength for sure. Yeah, I, I would probably have to go wide receiver or tight end there. Um, I'd like to say offensive line, though. I mean, they're returning a lot of bodies there. Uh, don't really lose a whole lot. And, they, they return everybody. Yeah, and so, you know, I, I think that that's ideally, you know, would be the position that, that would be the strongest or, or that you could say is, is um, you know, looking the most promising heading into the spring and on into the fall. We got time, Grace, for one last question in the mailbag. What do you have to end us on here? All right, so if you could take any previous Husker great and put them on the current roster, who would you take? Mm. Ooh. <laughs> um, probably Indomitian Sue, just because what he means to an entire defense, the attention he draws, and how much better he made everybody. I mean, that, that would be in, an easy one um, that could repair a lot of their problems on defense overnight. Yeah, it would have to be somebody on the line, and I'd probably go defense. So Sue would be up there for sure. So to say somebody different, I'll say Grant Wistrom because they haven't had an edge rusher in, since Randy Gregory. Yeah, boy. Uh, <laughs> Levante? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Levante would probably be would be right up there too. I mean, uh, somebody that I mean, right there in the middle, the heart of the defense uh, that impacts everything. I mean, that guy made plays everywhere. Um, you know, it's hard to say that you you wouldn't take a um, you know a Lawrence Phillips yeah, or somebody, any of those running backs. any of those running backs. Yeah, take your pick. I mean, I mean those guys were Amon Green. I mean, any of those guys they were they were all pretty special, and and obviously they impacted the game quite a bit too. Who do you got, Grace? Uh, Rex Burkett. Ooh, there you go. Good pick. <laughs> Rex, they could use Rex right now. I mean, just mm-hmm. the consistency that he brought. They just don't have that at the running back. Every position. team can use a Rex yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that wraps it up here for the mailbag. When we come back, we'll, take, uh, we'll, we'll talk some recruiting here with Nate Klaus. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Final segment here of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, talking some recruiting. This segment of the Husker Online Show brought to you by our friends at Coogler Vision. Nate Klaus, tell them about your experience with Coogler Vision. Yeah, what what a better time than right now in 2020 to upgrade your vision. I know I did, and I'm so happy that I did get, get rid of the glasses. Uh, you may have contacts that you want to finally ditch. Now, the thing about Cooler Vision is that they're the only LASIK uh, place that, that does seven different types of procedures. So uh, if you think that maybe you're not right for LASIK, uh, I encourage you to go to CooglerVision.com and uh, set up a consultation, and they'll find one that works for you. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we talk recruiting, Nate. Just one official visitor in town, but a very, very um, – good weekend in terms of having some key 500 mile radius prospects in Lincoln um, for not really, it wasn't a junior day, but kind of a, a pre-party to this weekend's junior day. Yeah, I would, yeah, I would say it was kind of a, an elite visitor weekend type of deal where, you know, there was, there was a couple guys that I would say are very, very high on Nebraska's board that they wanted to get in and, and have, um, you know, a lot of one-on-one time and not, you know, not have them be part of the, the cattle call 50, 60 visitors in on a weekend where you're going from one spot to the next and having, you know, big presentations and, and meetings like that. But, um, and then a couple guys that, that weren't able to make it in for, for this weekend's event uh, that had to reschedule and, and just went a, ahead and visited a week early. But uh, it was a productive weekend. Um, you know, it was a little, it was interesting because, you know, a lot of these guys were skill position players that had been recruited by Troy Walters, and all of a sudden they get on campus, <laughs> and uh, Troy Walters is no longer there, and, and Matt Lubick was not on campus uh, because that whole deal came out a little faster than I think what Nebraska intended to, intended for it to. But um, so a lot of the time was spent with Scott Frost in his office, breaking down Oregon film, uh, showing the, the prospects film from when he was the offensive coordinator at Oregon and, and Lubick was the passing game coordinator, wide receivers coach, and, um, you know, and, and kind of letting, letting them know, okay, this is, this is the ideal vision for our offense. Uh, this is what Coach Lubick is all about and, and, and uh, you know, his track record of, of coaching and developing wide receivers and, and uh, just their overall chemistry in terms of uh, calling plays and, and running the offense. So, uh, so that was really interesting. Um, now, you mentioned the one official visitor, Chris Drain. Uh, he was a wide receiver, duck R type of guy. I mean, he could do he could play running back. He could pretty much do a little bit of everything. I I think he's athletic enough to even play on defense, kind of like a Cam Taylor Britt, uh, who who also came out of Alabama. Uh, but 
you know, he's uh, his visit went extremely well. He's, he's a very quiet kid, so we have not been able to catch up with him uh, for a full interview. But from people I've talked with, it sounds like that, that trip was uh, extremely productive. Do you get the sense, Nate, how many in-home visits has Nebraska actually made in this, in this January cycle? Uh, as far as I'm aware of, I, none so far. Um, you know, I, I think that now later on in this week, I guess, uh, they're, they're supposed to be heading out to Idaho to see Tanoa Tagawai. So, uh, maybe, you know, by the, by this weekend, I guess you could probably say maybe one, um, and, and probably two. Uh, but as of this taping, uh, I'm not aware of any, uh, but I would say Chris Drain and Tanoa Tagawai, those would be the two guys that they'll probably see, uh, by the end of this weekend. And then Nate, you mentioned some key in-state, um, 500 mile radius guys were in town, uh, Keegan Johnson, Thomas Fedone, is it Fedone or Fedoni? Fedoni. Fedoni, the big tight end out of Lewis Central. Uh, I mean, and just to, to get these guys here on campus, then maybe get them back in March, maybe get them back in April, then maybe back in June. I mean, that, that's got to be what Nebraska is going for right now with some of these key early regional offer players. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's all about trying to establish that connection and, and um, having them continually come back to campus and feel more and more comfortable every time they come back. You know, all those guys have been, uh, for the most part, all of them had been to at least a, a couple different games in the fall. Um, you know, and obviously Keegan Johnson's been here numerous times, but, um, you know, this, the, the one common theme from talking with all those guys is that how this visit last weekend was different than any other time they'd been to Lincoln. And, and that was because of the, the personal attention that they were able to receive with the coaching staff, you know, talking to Thomas Fedoni, um, this was the first time he'd really been able to sit down with Sean Becton and, and break down, you know, how, how they plan on using him in the offense and sit down with Scott Frost and, and, you know, talk about anything under the sun. And, um, you know, then Keegan Johnson too. I mean, um, you know, he's, he's somebody that just because he's a Husker legacy does not necessarily mean that he's a slam dunk to, to commit to Nebraska. He's got a number of offers. He's going to continue to get offers. He's visiting a lot of other places. So Nebraska's got work to do. And, but I think that that weekend, uh, was really big. And, and, you know, another guy that, that we haven't talked about is Brody Brecht, uh, the big six four hundred ninety five pound wide receiver out of Ankeny, Iowa, that Nebraska's offered. Um, not only did he spend a lot of time with the, with Frost and the coaching staff, but he also was able to sit down with the, with the baseball staff because he's a heck of a baseball player. So Will Bolt and, and uh, you know, I, I think Coach Harville there uh, with the baseball staff, they were able to sit down with him and, and kind of have a personal one-on-one meeting there too. And, and that left a, a, quite the impression with Brody Breck so um, yeah it was it was really productive um, and from my perspective and, and having been a part of some of these weekends um, in the past at Nebraska getting these guys that all have some common ties with one another uh, on campus at the same time is a big deal too because they they talk about you know hey what if we all went here you know what could we do or what could we help build and then you've got guys like Henry Latovsky who's already committed who's out of Iowa talking with these guys getting them to go or telling them to go to Nebraska Teddy Prohaska is very involved with recruiting being a peer recruiter too so uh, that's another kind of aspect of all this that I think uh, could very well pay off down the road. Is it just me Nate or does Nebraska when you compare them to regional teams Iowa 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 State, Kansas State, Kansas, you know, the teams in this area, I feel like they do a better job of that than a lot of places to create events and atmospheres to get some of these kids together more often to kind of get the scenario you've talked about. Yeah, yeah, I think that, um, 
you know, they're if they're not the best, they're right up towards the top. Uh, now Iowa is having a number of of Junior Day events um, here. One this weekend, I think they've got one or two uh, in the following weekends too. So so that's something that they they do a good job of getting guys on campus as well. Um, and obviously they're they have a heavy pre- presence in statewide too. So um, but yeah, Nebraska, I, I do think that the staff um, and the way they approach things in terms of you know getting guys. Uh, on campus and, and allowing them to kind of build a bond or build a relationship with one another is something that, that the, they're really good at. All right, and what's on the docket now this weekend? Well, so there's another junior day coming, um, and a lot of a lot of you know big time players are, are coming to uh, coming to Lincoln again. And I think the headliner of that group is probably T.J. Bowlers, who's currently the number one player in the state of Iowa, uh, four star, rivals 250 outside linebacker. Um, you know, and right now it's it's kind of Nebraska, Wisconsin. I think Cal is is maybe the dark horse, uh, but he's told me that that he's going to be locking in official visits with. Nebraska, Wisconsin, um, and Cal, and and believe it or not, Army is also he, he's going to be taking an official visit out to West Point. Um, so I, I think that his his recruitment is starting to speed up, and um, and Nebraska's in a good spot right now. I think um, you know obviously Wisconsin's probably the 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 team to beat, uh, but Nebraska's not far behind. And uh, the thing that the Huskers have going for them um, is that. You know, they play a 3-4 defense, which is exactly what he's wanting to play in, but they have a great need at that outside linebacker spot. Um, We talked about earlier in the show, there's not a lot of proven commodities at that position. So I think his path to early playing time at Nebraska could – could benefit the Huskers here as they continue along and uh, we'll probably see him make a decision, I would think, um, by early this summer at the latest. All right, well, it's going to be a busy weekend in Lincoln here with a, a number of visitors, as you heard. So make sure you're on HuskerOnline.com as Nate Klaus, Mike Mattia, Brian Munson, the entire Husker Online recruiting team will have you covered on all the festivities here in Lincoln. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.